Hey, welcome to the Default Alive podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Chris. And this is our audio documentary of our journeys building profitable internet businesses. And so if this is your first time listening, you can learn more about us and get up to speed by starting at episode number one. But if you're a regular, welcome back. All right, Chris, week two back. How are you feeling? Week two. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, a bit overwhelmed. It's It's been a lot, but <laughs> yeah, I'm back. Well, <laughs> but yeah, but you're back. You're hanging in there. You're surviving. Yeah. What What has it been like? So a bit overwhelming. Talk me, talk me through it. Yeah, you know, uh, before all this, I... Uh, <laughs> Michelle Hansen, who is on, uh, who has the uh, software social podcast, she told me that having a baby and running a, a startup or a business is kind of like having two babies. And she's 100% correct. I've been doing a great job keeping one of those babies alive, uh, being my, <laughs> my actual baby. But uh, I feel like I haven't been doing such a great job uh, keeping the other one alive, being JetBoost. So uh, you know, just, just, uh, especially this last week, getting back into things, uh, I've, I've felt like I am failing in, uh, or at least I am overwhelmed in all aspects of the business. So, uh, on the product side, uh, I'm still working with part-time developer and trying to, uh, he's got a bunch of code that he's written that's waiting for me to review. And so trying to, um, take care of that so he can keep moving forward. Uh, the marketing stuff that we've been talking about week after week, working on the the new pages and those are almost ready to go, but not quite done. And then, uh, of course the, the support side of things, still catching up on tickets, uh, trying to put some systems in place, which we might talk about later and, and prepare for hiring someone. But yeah, yeah, just, just juggling a lot right now for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That is a lot. Well, I, I can, I can definitely understand, empathize. Sometimes I feel the same way, except I am the baby that I'm trying to keep alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's my own psychology. But um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. and then there's that too. <laughs> right, right. I know. The the third neglected baby, all of us inside. Yeah, right. it's hard, man. I mean, hats off to you because, especially you know, early days. Um, going back to the, the bootstrapping and babies analogy, early days are hard and unknown and feels like a lot to juggle when there's so much that you're not like in a groove yet and you have to kind of discover, figure out along the way. Um, yeah. So try not to be too hard yourself on yourself on, uh, letting one of the babies die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I realized something in the past week, which is, well, well, number one, just my work schedule has obviously changed. Uh, I've always preferred to work in, uh, kind of like marathon sessions where, just really get into like the, the deep work state and um, just go for hours upon hours at a time and then take big breaks. And uh, now life dictates that I need to figure out how to work in shorter sprints mm -hmm. uh, and, and get good solid work in, you know, two hours at a time. Uh, so trying to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a big one. Have you noticed that you've been working like different hours too? Um, I can only imagine that there's like, you know, kind of like a schedule around things now. Like, did you do most of your work in the mornings or afternoons or nights? Um, and is it different now? Yeah. Uh, so 
mornings and afternoons tend to be best for me. And right now it seems like nights are more available, uh, but I'm not great at <laughs> working late at night. So I, I either need to figure that out or, or just figure out how to adjust the schedule. Mm. Uh, yeah. But I mean, o- overall, especially this last year with the pandemic and, uh, you know, I haven't had much else to do other than like work on the business. Right. And so I, I realized that, you know, I was able to work. I hate when people say like, you know, I've been working hundred hour weeks. Like it's always an exaggeration, but I was able to work basically as much as I wanted to for right. the past year because I had nothing else going on. And because of that, I think I was able to, uh, not realize some of the, the problems I was facing with the business and not realize that mm. I needed more help than, um, Again, because I could just throw more hours at the problem because I had more hours available. Yeah. Uh, so, so the the constraints that I'm facing now have been it's been difficult, but at the same time, it's like it's good because I'm realizing, oh, you know, I haven't been working a normal amount. I I should be outsourcing some of this. I should be getting more help. Uh, and yeah, trying to figure that out now. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. The uh, the amount of work has kind of masked some of the bottlenecks and problems because you've just been able to brute force your way through it a little bit yeah totally exactly it hmm. i think i'll probably reach that same conclusion <laughs> uh relatively soon in the future i don't know how soon but i don't have a baby and also don't have many other things distracting me or um taking me away outside of the house so um i've actually i've thought a little bit about it but uh you know, I think that not like a, tr- a tr- traditional hire, but I've been thinking about things like editing and like delegating, you know, podcast production, uh, even like, I don't know, some sort of VA kind of stuff. Like it seems, I don't know, maybe th- this year for sure. I want to like have someone else that I can offboard some things to. Yeah. I, that's the biggest thing I'm realizing right now is, uh, it's yeah i i just think the the business would be better my life would be better if i was like you said outsourcing things and uh yeah maybe trying to find a, an assistant or uh you know obviously also specialized roles as well so yeah that's a big one so where are you at on the the hiring front um i know that it's still top of mind are you still like are there like things that need to be like checked off on the to-do list in order for that to happen? Or is it just like, is that the big thing on the to-do list? It just hasn't been kind of checked off yet. It's, you know, starting to tackle it. Yeah, that's, that's certainly one of the big things, if, if not the biggest, uh, I read a really good article from, I want to say his name is Brian Castle. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. He, uh, he wrote a good article about hiring and uh, the, the main point was make sure you have, uh, not necessarily like the full process built out, but like know what you want that person to do, uh, know what you want their, their daily tasks to be, uh, their ongoing tasks. If like that daily work isn't available, um, and at least have like a little bit of structure in place. 
I think if I was to hire someone yesterday, they would come in and I would, (laughs) neither of us would be in a good position to, Mm -hmm. to see them succeed. Uh, so yeah, as of this last week, I've started figuring out, okay, what, what does that look like if I bring someone on to help with support? Uh, you know, there's a few things that have to happen. I have to introduce them to, uh, to JetBoost. I I would definitely try to hire someone with Webflow experience because a lot of the, the support problems have, you know, you got to go in and look at somebody's Webflow project and, um, diagnose things. I don't necessarily, I, I, I could train someone how to use JetBoost. I'm not worried if, if they've even heard of it or not. Um, but yeah, have it, having to, uh, basically how, how would I onboard someone to the platform? Uh, how would I train them as to, uh, you know, we, uh, we use help scout now, so that's pretty standard for customer support. Um, but what are, what are our specific processes with that? Um, I actually started using Tetra last week. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. T- which is, uh, like internal knowledge base. Um, I had something going in notion. I, I really struggle with notion. I struggle to like, I lose things and, um, I've really liked Tetra so far. So I've, I've moved everything over to there. Mm. Uh, and I'm trying to be more strict myself about, you know, not just going and solving, uh, solving support tickets, but actually, okay, what did I do for the support ticket? Um, put it in the, you know, write up like a process guide. And, uh, so again, I can start, I'm starting to think about if I'm not doing this myself, how will someone else do this? Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. Do you think, um, the hiring someone with Webflow experience is, is like absolutely necessary or required because it's definitely like a, I mean, it's kind of a technical tool, but at the same time, not really because it's a no code tool and like, it's probably less complicated than a lot of other I don't know, like technical support kind of people would do. And also, you know, the kind of begs the question, like how technical would it be? Like there's, you know, you mentioned like the preview, um, but also like looking at someone's HTML, CSS, uh, digging into maybe, you know, Webflow classes and stuff like that. But do you think that even like training someone to use Webflow might be like a possibility? So this is, this is the big question in my mind that I'm not sure about, which is basically, like you said, how technical does someone need to be? Uh, you know, I, I've even been pondering whether or not someone needs, like you said, HTML, um, at least like the ability to open the, like right now when I do support, I open the Chrome inspector, I, I'm looking at HTML, HTML elements, I'm, uh, you know, sometimes debugging things in JavaScript. Uh, So there's some sort of, there's like a spectrum of no experience whatsoever with with web development, uh, no experience with Webflow versus someone who can uh, go and like write little snippets of JavaScript. Uh, And I I guess I've kind of settled on the happy medium of, I, I think someone would be able to, help out so much quicker if they do have Webflow experience. Uh, I think anything 
on the JetBoost side that currently, uh, you know, might involve like Chrome debug tools, I could probably build support like support tools that they could use uh, again to to only rely on Webflow knowledge and then some whatever support tools we have at JetBoost. Um, but uh, I think it might be asking a lot to train someone also on Webflow because a lot of the a lot of the the questions that we get are from pretty I would say on the more advanced usage of Webflow. So uh, using dynamic collection lists and um, and data binding and and all of that, uh, there are, there's lots of ways to uh, run into issues doing that with JetBoost. Uh, (laughs) Despite how uh, we've, we've tried to make the setup process as easy as possible, but there, there are still challenges for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of a question of like how how quickly do you need someone or want someone to be able to get onboarded and or how confident are you that they'll be able to actually do the job. And yeah. Um, Webflow is definitely a big kind of piece of that puzzle. It's it's basically you know what's interesting is I wonder um I mean it's basically like Webflow support more than it is JetBoost support. A little bit. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but it seems like, you know, because JetBoost is dependent on Webflow. Um, I wonder even if Webflow has like resources around this or a hiring pool or people, I don't know, who have like worked there before or currently working there that might have thoughts on it that you could, you could steal. Yeah. Uh, I, I've actually been thinking about reaching out to, couple people I know on their support team uh yeah just to kind of get some ideas and um I'd love to learn more about how they handle support because they have a lot of the the same challenges right I actually saw it was maybe it was a few months ago uh they they had posted some job openings for support uh one, one of the hiring managers on Twitter I was thinking about messaging them and being like so from the pool of candidates, the, the people that you almost hire, but don't, mm-hmm. could you send those over to me? Yeah, um, seriously. <laughs> just, just make my life easier. But yeah, that's funny. Yeah. You should go through old, um, old posts, like old, old job postings on Twitter and then like see who liked it or retweeted it or like commented and said like, Oh, apply or something. And maybe, <laughs> maybe you can right. scrape some, some people to, to reach out to, to see if they're interested. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Um, does it feel like something that's like relatively close? I know it's like, it feels urgent, but like, is it something that you're like, Oh, I'm like a, a week out or like a couple of months out still. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I hope it's no more than a month out. I, the reason I'm a little hesitant is just with, again, I'm, I'm figuring things out and the fact that I'm somewhat struggling to manage one part-time person right now, uh, to throw another person in that pool has right. me a little bit nervous. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I need to figure out how to maximize my time better. And the only way to do that is through hiring. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. just wondering, like there's, um, 
I think for part-time like contract people, it's probably a little bit quicker, but you know, usually when you're hiring someone full-time, it's at least like a two or three month process because you go through like the application round and then you put a deadline on it. And then you go through like the first kind of screening and that takes forever. If you have like a lot of applicants to go through and then it's like scheduling the interviews, doing like a bunch of interviews. And then it's like going to the next round of interviews. And then I don't know, some sort of like homework assignment or like evaluation and then like an offer. And then it's usually, you know, at least two weeks till that person can start. Um, so that, that takes a long time. I don't know. It, it might be like shortened or, but it's probably still like a six week process at least for someone who's part-time contract. So that's kind of, I mean, it buys you some time a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I've always heard like it takes higher, it takes longer than you think. That's been my experience too. And so you like have to like start earlier than you want to, but I don't know. It's you know, all contextual. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually a really good point that, um, I maybe haven't considered. Yeah. So one thing I was thinking about, I'm curious what you think about this. Uh, I've seen member stack do this. When I finally get this, uh, announcement update email out to, to all the current JetBoost customers, uh, I was thinking about including a section at the bottom, just saying, "Hey, we're we're hiring for customer support, uh, probably mm-hmm. part-time person." Because, uh, yeah. like I said, I've seen MemberStack do that in their update emails. Um, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know how successful that would be, but kind of an interesting idea because that guarantees someone's at least heard of or used JetBoost and, and Webflow. Right. Yeah, I've I've heard. I mean, yeah, I don't have experience with it personally, but I've heard that good employees come from your customer base sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, I could see how that could be a thing. Uh, even yeah. if there was some sort of like, I don't know, asking them to share or refer mm-hmm. someone, if there's like a kickback of, you know, Hey, if mm-hmm. you refer someone, I'll give you, you know, Amazon gift card or 500 bucks or something like that. Um, could also incentivize people to maybe like pool some, you know, do it, do some like recruiting for you. I don't know. Uh, I think it's a good idea. It's a worthy idea for sure to try. Like, why not? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think I'm leaning towards that. That also forces me to, uh, because I'm trying to get that email out as soon as possible, uh, to also, yes, start the, the hiring process sooner as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The hardest part is probably, like you said right now, just defining what the work is that way, you know, who you were looking for and, um, being able to like, you know, write up a good title and description and expectations and like flesh out all the details. Uh, I feel like even, you know, again, given like the timeline, once you would have someone, a good forcing function is just like, all right, cool. Like start doing the support. I'm going to start giving you stuff, but like just send over questions to me and then they can kind of like build it on the fly as opposed to like having it all ready mm-hmm. for someone beforehand, which will inevitably be full of gaps and holes and things that are missing anyways. So, right. Uh, but you know, the time constraints like the biggest thing right now. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's the other thing too, is trying to, yeah, carve out the time to, be able to sit with someone and go through tickets together with them, uh, or, uh, yeah, wh- whatever, uh, 
whatever's needed really to to get them onboarded. Yeah, I, I could see though. I mean, I think uh, you know Webflow is a growing thing, and there's lots of people interested in this. Especially, you know, it's a big part of the no code movement, and there's got to be some savvy people, even like college students, early grads. I don't know, creators, kind of you know, designers even um, who aren't like at full capacity and who want or need extra side work or some sort of consistent income who would be interested in, you know, are you thinking it's going to be more like a, is like a 20 hours a week kind of thing or like a 10 or a five or a 30? I don't know. Yeah. I'm thinking 20 to start, uh, with depending on their capacity, ramping up further from that, if all goes well. Yeah. I think that's, it's, yeah, the other thing I'm trying to figure out is I've obviously mostly been looking at this from my point of view of, uh, you know, wanting someone to come in and be able to help out. But I've never been in a position before where I have like a small bootstrap business hmm. where I'm trying to, uh, you know, hire, like I've only been hired at large companies. So what does it look like on there and what are they looking for? to right. to to get out of this um what are so, some of the the benefits of um coming and working for jetboost I, <laughs> mm. I probably needed to to think about that more and define that before I, I really go after someone yeah yeah be able to really kind of sell it yeah do you like i mean i think uh so we, we talked about it a little bit last week but i sent you the article on um sahil's blog post on how they're basically like a contractor only company. It's no full-time employees. Uh, Rand Fishkin's thoughts on that. But I think, I mean, one of the advantages too of it being part-time is that you just have a lot of like individual or like independent kind of self-starter type of people who probably want to work on something else as like their focus anyways. And so the main value prop is usually, Hey, you get to still like work on your thing and here's like a consistent stream of income and connections and, experience and whatnot but you know it doesn't have to be like come join this rocket ship and <laughs> here's why we're going to be a billion dollar startup and you know here's like our culture right. and ping pong tables and beer and <laughs> stuff like that. yeah i mean it's it's basically what you and derek have with with your contract with savvy cal i mean i know right. he's mentioned that before on his podcast that uh it's almost better that you like you have your own thing going on, but he's also able to tap into your expertise and uh, it's kind of a win-win for both of you guys. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I really like it. Um, I think it's a great arrangement just from like incentives and like use of time. Like I'm super, super efficient mm-hmm. <laughs> with Derek mm-hmm. because right. not, I, I have no other incentive not to be because the more right. time I spend on it or that I waste on it, that's just a waste of time for me that I, I would be working on something else. Um, and it's great for him because he doesn't have to pay for someone full time and he probably doesn't even need someone full time. Um, and yeah, but it's not my full time focus. Right. And so I get to still kind of keep that for my, for myself. Um, so yeah, I, I think that there's, I think there's someone out there for you. I'm a <laughs> believer. Yeah. I would be stoked for that gig if I was, you know, if it was like five years ago, 
for me and I knew about the no code movement and everything. And I was like wanting to get in it. I'd be like, Oh, this is perfect. Like it would be, feel like a dream. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I, I, I think one of the things that's been holding me back is most of the, well, a, a lot of the people that I've interacted with in the Webflow community, uh, a good number of them are like top tier designers and, like right. okay, I, I would love to work with so and so, but like they they're already so good at Webflow, like they're going to build uh, high value, expensive Webflow sites. They they're you know, like you said, I need to find someone who's more in the position of uh, like you five years ago, starting out learning Webflow, wanting to be able to to level up really quickly with it. Right. I think I think that's that's probably. Uh, the right person to target and they they definitely will level up in webflow very quickly working on uh jetboost support oh, yeah. <laughs> oh i'm sure i've uh, seen some uh, some crazy webflow stuff yeah 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 and especially since it's not like a like super technical well i i, I was going to ask about that anyways but at least right now it doesn't seem like a very technical kind of job that that also kind of you know gives you some leeway as far as who you're looking for because if they're a unicorn where they're like a you know engineer and designer and like love doing support then like perfect but like they're probably gonna be really hard to find but mm -hmm. if you can especially take out that engineering side of things like i think about um member stack with uh josh josh lopez like that guy like does everything <laughs> and he's amazing <laughs> at support because i know i can just email him and literally ask for anything and he will find me an answer and, uh, and so he's fantastic, but yeah. you know, he's a founding member and, uh, he's full time with them and, um, they have tons and tons of, I mean, they probably have a very similar situation of doing a lot of, uh, Webflow type of support and maybe even more sophisticated because they're dealing with hiding content and authentication and mm -hmm. security stuff and, you know, to a, maybe, a, uh, another level, but. Um, you don't need that type of person, at least not yet. Right. That's been one thing that's been really interesting about going through this exercise is uh, a lot of the, well, a good number of the support tickets do require a pretty, uh, like more technical, more technical experience than they should. Mm -hmm. Uh and so when I start thinking about, okay, how do I replace myself? Well, I don't want to go find someone with the same skill sets that I have because that's, that's, that's overkill. And I'm solving some of these problems. I'm thinking about the, the hoops that I jumped through to solve these problems. And it's like, oh, I should be, like I said, either building tools around this to help with support or um, uh, just developing better processes or uh, really trying to like, when you start thinking about, okay, how do I systematize this? It's, it's trying to basically take all of the, uh, the challenge out of it and, and make it repeatable. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll have to keep us updated on that and, and the progress, uh, as slow as it might feel or, or be, <laughs> which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, That'll be interesting. I think that there will be a really, uh, I know as soon as the job wreck goes out, I'm going to send it out to a whole bunch of places <laughs> and people and 
and promote it, but I think it's a really cool opportunity. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a fun challenge just because like I said, I've never done it before. Um, I mean, I've, I've hired a number of engineers before, so that's always like, that's easier. Cause that's like, I'm comfortable with that. Um, but this feels a little bit like stepping out into, uh, the unknown and okay. How do we build a customer support team? I guess we'll try and figure that out this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, only one way to find out. Only one way to do it. Just yeah. got to do it. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. That's, that's pretty much it for me. Nice. That's top, top of mind right now. Yeah. I don't have a, a ton of, um, updates either. Although I have no excuse because I don't have a baby. I am the baby. <laughs> and, um, the, I just had a couple of things maybe just to throw by and kind of update. I mean, one was everything was marketing launched last week, which is, which has been good and fun yeah. and uh, getting that up and running. Um, I can share a couple of numbers really quick, but I think by Thursday, so I launched last Monday and then by Thursday I had reached a thousand downloads. I think it was, which felt good because um, you know, kind of good to get that early kind of spark. I think on wow, average, yeah. I'm averaging like 130 downloads per episode, but some have, you know, there's kind of a, not a power law, but you know, there's different distribution between them. Um, ideally I want to get those into like the couple hundreds fairly soon. Um, but I need to go do, do, do a couple of things and it's kind of goes back to the same old, same old podcast promotion stuff, but I'm working on working with someone. Um, maybe I can talk about it next week or when we have something to, to kind of show for it. We're working with someone on creating a whole bunch of kind of marketing assets, promotional assets for each one of the episodes to create little video snippets and tweet threads and kind of pull out content mm-hmm. from the podcasts to places like Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube. I want to experiment with TikTok as well. So I've, I've seen a couple of fun um, like interview kind of clips through TikTok, and it's a good kind of medium for that. Um, and then asking for reviews. And so tonight I plan on spamming a few people <laughs> asking for reviews, <laughs> but I need to get creative about the way that I ask as well. It's like this weird, I don't, I don't even know if it's worth like doing, but I'm just kind of it's like my one shot to do it anyway. So I might as well, but there's a weird, um, thing with Apple, Apple podcasts where if you get a number of reviews and downloads, then like some sort of threshold or milestone kind of triggers like, Oh, you're eligible to be featured in the, you know, new and noteworthy section. Mm. And then that could give you like some, some really good organic traction. Um, but I'm not sure how achievable that actually is or like what numbers I need to hit. So it's a little bit hard to tell. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of expecting not to hit it or really for anything to happen, but like, there'll be good things anyways, just asking people to share and to get reviews. Um, but that's going to be my focus this week is just trying to get more, uh, more episodes out. I published another one today and I publish another one Wednesday asking for reviews, getting those assets, hopefully in the next week or so. Um, and yeah, just figuring out more of the, the promotion side of things, getting guests to share as well. Uh, but it's been going well so far and the, the reception has been really, really positive. Um, the other thing is deep work. So you mentioned it um, a little bit, just like trying to figure out your schedule. And, um, I've definitely been in like a rut for my schedule and I've, it's been like an on and off kind of thing, but 
now that I have like the community up and running and the podcast launched, I really need to get back in the mode of like stop scrambling and like start producing more. And, um, especially on the writing side of things, like I want to write the newsletter and, uh, just do a lot more like, I felt like a lot of my tweets, especially recently have been like very self-promotional, like not very helpful, which I feel kind of lame about. Um, so just getting back in the groove of like doing more teaching and, um, there's like a whole bunch of like, I have so many ideas for articles and stuff to share and things that I've been meaning to talk about forever that just haven't kind of sat down and done. And so I started working on this blog post for, for Savvy Cal called deep work for founders. And then, you know, writing it made me realize I was like, Oh yeah, there's a bunch of things I can do. Like, let me move my schedule around. So like all my meetings and recordings are in the afternoons and we block off these days and I'm doing a little bit less, uh, mentoring and, and coaching. And so that'll free up some time there. And, uh, and, but also just like removing some distractions, like committing to, to getting things out the door and, um, possibly getting some help on the editing side of things, um, either through a community or through someone and just like just paying for their time, just kind of get things out. Cause that's been one of the main blockers. Just like, I know that I'll be able to like get something good out, but I want to put something great out. And so it's kind of like this false start thing where I'm holding myself back a little bit, just being scared about like not getting it to where it needs to be. Um, cause I'm a, I'm an okay writer, but I'm not like a, uh, I still feel very amateur. Like I'm kind of just like figuring it out on the fly. Like, I don't know why it's decent writing, but I know it's decent writing, but I want to make it like really good writing and really good content. And, um, I think it just requires another level of intention and attention to detail and stuff. So working on more deep work, um, specifically, I think carving out Tuesdays to just like really, really writing. And, um, yeah. So anyways, uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, hopefully more to share a little bit later, but I still have a whole bunch of things that like a bunch of busy work accounting and like, <laughs> um, just like scheduling a bunch of things for like AMAs and workshops. And actually I automated a whole bunch of stuff through Integromat and Zapier the other day through some things I was doing manually. I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't do this earlier. <laughs> uh, so that felt good to do. And, a few more things again this whole va idea might be might come sooner rather than later if i can justify it but right now i just you know i'm not quite there i still need i still have a ways to go but i feel pretty good i mean this month i'm not sure i'm gonna hit my like new members goal but i feel okay about that just because i feel like i didn't deserve it but i'm and i know <laughs> that I, there's a lot more <laughs> more that i can be doing that i will be doing soon that will get me back there yeah, I think deep work is really tough when you're juggling a lot of different things, which you definitely are. Yeah. So you, you've got the community, you've got multiple podcasts, your newsletter, your consulting, your mentoring. <laughs> it's like, okay, when yeah. do you find the time to actually do the deep work then? I know. And it's, it's not even that like, I don't have the time to do it cause I absolutely do, but there's just so many other things that are like vying for attention or I'm like, Oh, I want to make sure I like get this done or jot down some thoughts for this really quick. And then like, I'm just like a little bit scattered. And, mm -hmm. um, so some of this with the delegating with the automating, I think will help also just like getting it out of the way and like having specific time. Like I'm trying to get better about 
it sounds weird, but like not being as responsive to people. And whereas before I'd be like, Oh, here's a whole bunch of emails and like DMS and like little things that I need to do. And like, I'm just going to like plow through those and then I'll get to the deep work and then I'm just exhausted and I don't do the, the deep work. And then I get in a cycle of like, I'm just doing these little things that are making kind of incremental progress and I need to flip it. I need to do the deep work first and then get to the small things. Um, afterwards or even just delay it like not respond for a while which sounds weird again i've kind of done with the community this last week i experienced a little bit thankfully they're a good group of people but um they're kind of self-sufficient to a certain degree but it's like i don't need to be checking in three times a day to the community i can just check in like every other day (laughs) and some things are automated and some things to get back to but like especially right now i just need to get need to get back into the groove Totally. I, I can 100% relate. I, I tend to always do the, those little tasks first, responding to emails, responding to messages. And then sometimes, especially when there's a lot of them, like you're just exhausted after. Yeah. Yeah. Cause each one's unique in its own way. I know, especially with, yeah, especially I think the communication with other people, cause I feel guilty if something like is left there for a while. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of learned to let go a little bit. I'm like, you know what? I don't really care. Like I'm not happy with my own kind of production and like, I'm sorry, but this, I just need to prioritize. And, um, so right. trying to like work through things in the way that it really makes sense to work through them. And I have this whole to do list in front of me and just like be okay with it. But you know, I have these like, things blocked on my calendar now. Okay. This is time for deep work and for writing and for getting things out there. Yeah. No, that's cool. Especially, yeah, if you dedicate Tuesdays to that, I think, I think that'll work well. Yeah, and and I know that I can do it too because Thursdays um, are largely my my consulting day for Savvy Cohen for Derek. And again, I'm like super efficient, and I just like crank stuff out on Thursdays. Um, and so I'm like, I, I know that there's a lot there. Like every week for Derek for the last three weeks, I've been cranking out a new article. Like I could do that for myself. I just need the time and the space and the discipline to actually sit down and do it for myself. Cause when it's for someone else, it feels easier. Like I'm a lot obligated to do it and they're going to be like, you know, I don't want dare to be like, Hey, so where is that thing? And <laughs> Oh, it's been a little bit late. And like, I just want to be on it. But when it's myself, I can, you know, I can be more lenient in a, in a negative way. Yeah. The, the never ending challenge of trying to be your own boss. Right. It, yeah. Managing, um, managing the, <laughs> who, who was it? Um, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld. He was like, the mind is like, uh, he made this, this comparison. I'll have to like link to it. Cause it's, I'm going to butcher it right now, but it's basically like the mind is like, um, a dog and you have to like train it and like, and like discipline it. But it's also like this super, you know, creative thing. And so like, you need both. You need to like, give it the space to like be creative, but you also have to like treat it like a dog and be very like strict with it. Um, mm-hmm. and find the link in the show notes cause it'll, it'll explain it a lot better than that. But basically I'm trying to do that with myself cause I haven't been a good like trainer for myself and being very disciplined. <laughs> I've just been, Oh, I'll be out of the place. And like, you have no schedule and I'm just, you know, follow, you know, your curiosity and just, it's not a, not a good way to actually produce things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, um, 
Anything else top of mind? Uh, I had one more note that I wrote down. I was curious to get your thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, this was a tweet from Riley Chase, who is, I mean, you obviously mm-hmm. know he's a, he's another mm-hmm. earnest founder um, who, who's running a SaaS company. He said his 10-year plan is to build a safe, boring business, sell that for seven figures, and then after that, build a risky, uh, riskier, exciting business. And hodl, right? Yeah, <laughs> and hodl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I saw that. I've been thinking about that one. I think it's true. I, I think even like there's a lot of like things in between there. Like for me, I, I, know, I think that Swy Files is even, um, it's like step zero. It's like something that just like unlocks time and like gets me away from trading time for money. And then there's like a, like a, I don't know if you call it like a bunt or like, you know, you're just not on home base anymore. And then there's other things that could be like singles or doubles. Uh, and then like, you know, one day you want to go for like the grand slam, you know, like the big thing. Um, and I could see that even I've had more like empathy for, uh, like VC backed startups and founders of those startups. Like I was, you know, I've been kind of like trashing on clubhouse to myself, (laughs) not really to other people. I'm just like, I don't really like it. I kind of get it, but I just feel like what a waste of time. Like I don't, I'm not really excited by it, but I feel the FOMO. And, Mm -hmm. but those guys, you know, if you look like, I mean, they've been successful before and like, they're just going for it. They're just shooting for the moon. Like I respect it. I get it. Like if you had the financial freedom and the ambition to do it, like, why not? You know, um, I don't know if I would, I would want to, again, I think we've maybe mentioned it before, but I don't see myself as like startup founder forever or like, I'm not, I don't see myself on that track of like founder and then investor and then you know, I don't know whatever else there is after that, <laughs> but, um, what, what do you see your track as? Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. I feel like it's hard to tell. And, um, I like the idea. I, I agree with Riley and I think that's amazing. Um, but I don't know if I would really want to do like a, here's like a generous, you know, life-changing startup idea. It just feels like so much hard work. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm lazier. I don't like hard work, but I just feel like, I don't know. Maybe my thing is just like take it easy and focus more on family or get involved in something else entirely or I don't know, do something more like nonprofit or ministry related or um, I don't know, going back to like go back to more like creator mode and just produce like podcasts and articles or something. I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's different for everyone. I think the the main theme is if you achieve financial independence for yourself, whatever you define that as, then what do you do next? Right. Yeah. That's a big question. Yeah. There's, um, who was it? I think it was, uh, I was listening to the, my first million podcast and someone on there, I forget now who, but they were talking about how, I think it was Sean. He was talking about how people are always, um, either running, they're, they're usually, running away from something or they're running towards something or some sort of combination of, of both. And I think like step one for most people is like, they're just running away from like their corporate job mm. and, or like feeling the kind of like stuck wherever they are. And then like step one is like to run towards something, but then you're always going back and forth. Cause like, then you're 
you're running towards like your own business, but then you're running away from like financial insecurity. So you're running towards financial independence. And like, once you get there, then what, what do you do? And then you're like, you're running away from meaning meetings and like time obligations. And you're running towards, uh, like meaningful things and impact. And it kind of changes, you know, ebbs and flows. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't, I don't really know where I fall on the, the spectrum either because in, in some ways, uh, my experience with JetBoost has made me kind of like Riley said, like want to go bigger and want to try to develop uh, something larger. It's riskier. And uh, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's like you, you just start to feel like, okay, maybe you can have a bigger impact uh, somewhere else. But at the same time, like it is really hard to get started. Uh, it's really hard to get something working and, uh, yeah, I don't know if whatever the, yeah, if, if I reach that level, like, I don't know if I would have the energy to, to do it again. Right. right. So, yeah. yeah. There's, um, uh, who else was it? I was listening to, um, the made with grit podcast and they interviewed this guy, Tyler, I forget his last name, maybe Tyler Smith. And he bootstrapped a company called Motion Array. And I think they built it for seven or eight or 10 years or something like that. And then they sold it for like $65 million. And I think he was the the main like stakeholder. I think they bootstrapped, you know, they didn't have like any other investors or kind of capital as far as I know or can remember. And, um, and he like wants to get back into it. He's like, I just want to like start a couple of businesses and like fund more founders. And I'm like, Cool. I don't know if after like a $65 million exit, if I would just want to like jump right back into it. Um, I could, I could absolutely see. I mean, I even think like the way that Riley is thinking about it is maybe he's underestimating his own thing. Um, and like, it's, it's a big achievement to like sell for seven figures, you know, and like even I think jet boost and something like hostifier, like, you know, good, like big kind of achievements. Um, when I think of that analogy, I think of people like, the Carlson brothers, you know, where they, they had some sort of small, again, quote unquote, small exit where they sold for a life changing amount of money. And then they like took their big swing and that was Stripe. I'm like, that's amazing. That's huge. But also now they're in this ginormous, you know, company <laughs> machine and they're on their way to IPOing. like, that's a very different life. So that, that's the type of thing where I don't know if I'd want to build like a Stripe kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is very like out there kind of thing to say, but I definitely have ambitions to build something bigger than swipe files obviously yeah yeah i mean just for following uh vlad the ceo of webflow on twitter like his he started out kind of building webflow as a as a smaller thing for his uh with his brother and for their agency and now he's the ceo of this company that's just growing so fast and looks like on their way to ipo and there's definitely times where he's tweeted basically like it's not easy it, mm-hmm. I can't imagine being him it, it would not be an easy position to be in yeah. yeah yeah and if I did I think I would probably want to go more the route of like a Andrew Wilkinson or like a Brent B. Shore where they're not necessarily like like with the reins in control like operating everything but more like delegating overseeing 
you know, capital allocation kind of stuff, uh, living the Warren Buffett life of like putting the right people in place and then just like letting it go. And mm-hmm. then like still yours, you can still, you're still involved, but you're not like doing all the big meetings and you're not running the company or that would probably be more something I would be interested in. Yeah. Even if it was like a much smaller scale. I could see that suiting you well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, yeah, I'm still trying to figure myself out, but you know, I think, uh, Andrew and, uh, people like Ryan Dice have talked about like the different types of entrepreneurs and, um, Ryan has a good kind of framework for it, but there's, there's very much like starters and like there's visionaries and there's like operators and there's scalers or some sort of mix like that. And I'm not sure exactly what I am, but I'm pretty sure I'm not like a scaler of like a very like ambitious process oriented person. I'm also not really much of an operator. I don't think where I like want to be in the mix of everything. And I think of people like uh, Elon Musk is kind of like a, a weird like blend, but like he loves, I mean, he's still involved in like all the product and engineering stuff. And like, I probably would not be (laughs) also not on like the, the marketing side of things either. Like I would just, I would probably let it go and then be more of like, you know, quote unquote visionary or just like starter. I think of people like Sam Parr too, where I don't know what his new job's going to be like now that they're a part of HubSpot. But, um, he was talking about how, you know, he, he's never like run the company. He just didn't like it. He hired CEOs and other people to kind of like take over. And he just liked starting new products and like doing his own thing, kind of being a little bit independent. So I see myself relating a little bit more closely to that archetype. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I don't know. We'll see. For sure. Cool, man. Well, good thoughts. We'll have to, you'll have to send me the tweet so we can link it to the show notes. Um, but anything else before we wrap up? No, that's it. Cool. All right. Well, we'll have everything we remember in the show notes, the links and mentions and other places you can check out there. And we'll see you in the next one.